We're going to talk today about temptation and how to overcome it. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil takes him up into a holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. So a while back, I read a book. It's entitled Tempted and Tried by uh, Russell Moore. It's, a, it's an excellent book. It'd be worth getting. He kind of gave an outline for how to deal with these verses here that I thought was good. But one thing he said was that God has, and this is what we're seeing here in these three temptations, but he's built into each of us a need to be provided for, to be protected, in a sense to be exalted. And our earthly fathers, in a lot of ways, provide that for us. They will protect us, they provide for our homes and our needs that way, and exalt us in the sense of a son. They'll a lot of times get him into a job, they promote them, they're creating an esteem, so to speak, in a child. They're not, a bad father's always putting the child down, telling them they're no good, and then they have problems. They are just a mirror image of our heavenly father, God. And the devil, what he's trying to do in temptation is to get us to cast off the fatherhood of God. He's trying to get us to provide our own needs and not look to him. He's trying to get us to protect ourselves. He's trying to get us to exalt ourselves and not let God the Father do that in his own time and way. So the thing is, when we are born again, we're brought back from death to life. And so when that's the case, sin should no longer have reign in our lives. But that doesn't mean, because that's all happened, that we're taken in or brought into a life of ease. Because it's not. Because we taught on spiritual warfare, our life from the time you're born again, is one of continual warfare. He is going to attack us, and what he does is he attacks us in a subtle way, the tendencies of our hearts, the desires that we have. And so to give you a definition of temptation, it's simple. It's just an enticement to sin and evil by the devil. And what he does is he takes good things, good desires that God has given us, and he wants us to use them to sin against God. Now, there's a book written by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And in that book, you have the devils talking amongst themselves on how are we going to undermine God's kingdom and his people. And one conversation that they have is, from one demon to another, the one says, all we can do is to encourage the humans, the servants of Jesus, to take the things that he has given to them 
and use them at times or in ways that he has forbidden. He wants us to take the good things God has given us and use them in a way that is forbidden. And we'll talk more about that in a second here. So what is the source, though, of temptation? Is it the devil made me do it? If you would, just put something there and turn back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, and we read there, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when? When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. And so it's impossible for God to ever be the source of temptation because temptation is evil, takes you into evil. He would never do that. He hates evil. So he is never the one that tempts us. The source of our temptation is right there in verse 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. His own lust. So all of us, listen, I say all of us have certain desires that are God-given and that are normal. So the desire to eat, to drink, to sleep, sex, they are normal God-given desires. Now there's other desires we have that are learned and because we're born in to this wicked world with a corrupt nature, we have desires that we developed that are evil. So I wasn't born with a desire to smoke cigarettes. I learned that, and then I had a desire I could not be delivered of. So I could when I got born again, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. God not only delivered me from smoking, but he also delivered me from a drive and this desire I could never get rid of when my mom's trying to bribe me with money. So God can deliver you that. But listen, because of all that, though, there's an area of temptation there for me that wasn't there before I ever smoked or somebody that's never smoked. That would not even be any kind of temptation. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm not fighting that desire, and that's not something I'm, every day I'm struggling with. But once you partake of sin, it becomes a, a temptation in a different way, the fact that you partook of that desire. What we're seeing here is every man is tempted of his own desire. And so we all have personal desires that are unique to us. And here's what we need to see. We're responsible for them, the ones we have. Every man, it says he's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so what did the Lord say to Cain in Genesis 4, 7? He said, sin is crouching at your door. What he's saying is, it's like somebody ready to mug you. It's like a cat just ready to pounce on you. He says, it's there. It's at your door, crouching. And he desires that sin. It desires to have you, Cain. That's what he tells him. He says, but you must master it. He's saying we're responsible. We must master sin in our lives. We can't say the devil made me do it. We can't say God has given me more than I can bear. God's tempted me this way. He's made me this way. I can't help myself. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's why we're reading that. Mark 7, 20 to 23 says, That which proceeds out of the man is that which defiles the man. It says, For from within, out of the heart of men, 
precede the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adultery, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slanders, pride, and foolishness. Jesus says all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And the Pharisees are like, it's all this stuff that's outside of you. He's like, no, it's what's within you that will defile you. And like one man said, every sin that we partake of is an inside job. The devil may entice us, but we are the ones that decide to give in and do it, whatever that sin is. And what we need to know, we talked about this in the spiritual warfare, the devil has watched us from birth, and he knows which buttons to push. He knows what traps to set that you're going to fall into because he's seen you fall into them before, and he knows what works for each of us individually. It's not the same for all of us. We have an active living being working against us to bring us into temptation. Don't we all know that? And so Peter warns us, be sober, he says, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, he says, steadfast in the faith. Brother Hamilton has talked about this in the past because this picture here about being enticed and drawn away, it is it's actually wording that was used for fishing and bait and a hook. I mean, that's where all that, that picture comes from. And so, you know, you get the idea here, the fish are out in the water, so just bear with me for a minute. And mother and father fish, they tell the young fish, look, you need to avoid that shiny, attractive bait. Why? They tell him, there's a hook in it. But one day he's swimming, and mom and dad, they're not around. And he's like, I just can't resist this any longer. I mean, I love how that looks. And my parents can't be right, because that bait is just too attractive. There can't be a hook in there. And he wraps his big fish lips around that bait. And then he's hooked. He's enticed. He's hooked. And then it's saying, then he's drug away. And that's what the devil does. And look, if you all would bear with me here, turn to Proverbs 7. I want to show you that's exactly the scenario that is played out here in Proverbs 7. We talked about Proverbs last week. We talked about how it's presented as a father and a mother talking to a child, someone in adolescence, someone whose hormones are raging. And it's saying, here's some advice I need to give you to help you along life's way. And so Proverbs 7 starts off, my son, he says, keep my words, lay up my commandments with thee, keep my commandments. He says, if you'll do that, you'll live my law, keep it as the apple of thine eye, bind it upon your fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, you're my sister, call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep you. Here's what this will do, the father's advice, it will keep you from the strange woman, from the stranger which flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked through my casement, and behold, among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man who was void of understanding. And so the father's trying to give him some wisdom. And it says there, he's passing through the street, verse 8, near her corner. And he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. And what do we say? She's subtle of heart. She's loud and stubborn, her feet abide not in her house, and now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, Oh, I have peace offerings with me. Here's the bait. 
This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face. Oh, and I've found thee. And look at this. I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with oils, with mirror, aloes, and cinnamon. Oh, come. Let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves because your parents aren't around. The good man, it says, is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. No one's going to know. And he has taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. And what does he say happens here? With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. And with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. And here he is. He's hooked. And he can't help himself at this point. He should have stopped all this when it started. But it says he goes after her straightway as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare and knows not that it is for his life. And what did his father say? If you'll just listen to me, son, avoid that woman. Don't even give her the time of day. I will give you life if you'll do that. And he's saying here he's forgotten all of that. And he's just following her along. Verse 24, he says, Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, O ye youth, and attend to the words of my mouth. And let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. Here's why. Because here's the death that follows. For she has cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. And her house... You didn't see this, but here's the hook. Her house is the way to where? To hell, going down to the chambers of death. And that's what we read in James. Sin, when it is conceived, it brings forth death. But you don't see that when that temptation's coming your way. So I would just ask us all, how are we doing, all of us, with temptation and the devil? Is he devouring us, or are we successfully resisting him? So what I want to talk about for today, the rest of this time on temptation, is that it comes to each person. And here's how temptation comes our way. It starts with the question of identity. Who are you? And I'm going to explain all this in a minute. And then your desires enter in. That's the next phase, what happens. And how will those desires be met? And ultimately, do you see where this is taking you? So to say it simply, first thing is temptation begins with who are you? How will your desires be met? And thirdly, where are you going? So I want to deal with the first thing. Who are you and your identity? So let me ask you this question to begin with. How would each of you identify your old self? Your old self, pre-salvation, or how would others have identified you then? Were you a person that was insecure, angry, depressed? Were you a moody person, fearful, full of doubt? Maybe you were manipulative? a control freak, maybe you're a tough guy or whatever. All I want to say is whatever it is, you fill in the blank. So I'm staying away from all the drunkenness and all the gross sins, okay? So how would you have been characterized or how would someone have characterized you? Because the devil's tactic, he wants to keep you in your past so that he can keep you down. That's what he wants to do. Turn over to Romans 6. I know we're turning to a few verses today, but Romans 6. So my whole thing is we have to realize who we are in Jesus Christ to resist temptation. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, 
it says this, what shall we say then, Paul writes, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's like, that's the most strong word in verse 2 you could have for a negative. It is God forbid. He is saying there is no way you can do that. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin, how can we live any longer therein? Don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, because of that, he says, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should have a whole new life about us. Shouldn't be the old man. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, he says again, that our old man is crucified, has been destroyed with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from here on out, how should we live? We should not serve sin. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And but Satan, his temptation and what he comes to us with is that we are still conquered by sin. We're still no different. We still have the same hang-ups that we've always had. And so to give you two examples, what he tries to do is mess with our identity. No, you're not born again. You don't have a new nature. Look at the things you're doing. You always did those things. There's no change that takes place. So let's look at the life of Joseph and his temptation. Was Joseph a slave of Potiphar? You know, was he a convicted felon that was in prison? Was he really that? Well, Potiphar's wife wanted him to believe that, that he's just a slave. Hey, you're just a slave. You just might as well enjoy yourself because you're a long way from home. You're a long way from the temple. You're a long way from God. You're a long way from your father. All of those people have forsaken you. They're not back in your life. They're not going to be in your life. And she's telling him, look where you're at. You're a good-looking man. If God was with you, what are you doing here? You're a good-looking man. Why waste that? Look what I'm offering you. That's what she's presenting. She's messing with his identity. But Joseph, he cut it off like what you said you should do. He's like, I'm not your stud slave sister. No, he says, I'm a son of God. He maintained his identity, didn't he? And he said this to her. He didn't play around with her at all, did he? He got away from her. He fled temptation. And he said in Genesis 39, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Russell Moore in his book says the devil wants us to believe that we are either beast animals or that we are gods. Because here's the other side to this whole story of Joseph. David and his temptation David was a king with unlimited powers, and kings back then, they did whatever they wanted. They took whatever they wanted. That's basically how Saul became. They weren't under God's law. If they saw a woman, that's what they got, and David forgot who he was. He thought he was just all of a sudden like those other kings, forgot who he was. But in doing that, what did he do? He just became an animal, didn't he? But controlled by animal lust sees that woman and takes her and violates the law of God, turns his back on God, didn't try to resist. And it works like this. I thought this was good. If you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you'll reap character. You sow character and you will reap your destiny. And David had that one thought, 
We're saying you sow a thought and you're going to reap an action. And he sowed that thought. And it led to his imagination going, which led to his action. And it did affect his destiny. It affected his family. And so what was the difference between how David and Joseph handled their temptations? One remembered who he was, and the other one forgot. So I'm saying the way the devil's going to come is he's going to try to get you to question your identity. If you are the son of God, and try to get you to yield. Now, I've given this illustration one other time, and I'd like to give it again just because it fits here. But there was this girl, the daughter of a royal family in Europe, and she had a nose probably like mine, a big bulbous nose. And she thought it just made her so ugly she couldn't stand it. And she's like, I'm an ugly person, and it was affecting her. So her family hired a famous plastic surgeon to change the contour of her nose. And he did his work, and when he took the bandages off, he's saying, man, this was a total success. This girl, once everything heals up, she is going to be totally beautiful. And he holds a mirror up, and she looks at that, and she loses it. She's like, I knew it wouldn't work. She didn't believe it. it. Took six months for that girl to accept the fact that she was an attractive person, for her to change her identity. It wasn't until she accepted that, then, when she accepted who she was, her behavior began to change. And the way she viewed herself. And that's the way it is with, with us in Christ. We must accept our new identity in Christ. We are dead and freed from sin. We have to accept that. We are sons of God. We're not slaves of the devil or sin any longer. That's the point. And so the devil tells Joseph, if you're a son of God, then what are you doing here in prison? You're just a slave. On the other hand, he comes to David and he says, you're a king. You're servant to no one. Just be like the other kings. God's been holding you back. Just take what you want. And that's what David did. And so he does that with us. He'll come to us and he'll say, you are a son of God. Who are you kidding? Because you still get angry. You still blow up. It's genetic. Your dad was like that. And you're just like him. You're just a chip off the old block. So why hold back? And that's what he tries to do, whatever it is. He tries to convince us that we don't have power over whatever sin's taken us down. And he tries to convince us it's going to plague us the rest of our life. But I'm saying we've got to believe the word of God. In John 1.12, it says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them it says he gave power, authority, to become the sons of God. We have to see ourselves that way, even to them that believe on his name. And Jesus said this in John 8, 30 to 31. As he spake these words, many believed on him. And then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, he said this, if you continue in my word. And by that it implies you believe it, you trust it. If you continue in my word, he says, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth. And the truth will do what? Make you free from sin. Well, I went into prison. That's what I named my ministries for whatever. I've said it is free indeed ministries because those guys, you would look at them and say, well, you're not free. You're locked up for 25 years to life. I'm like, that's not where freedom comes. Freedom's in here. That's the freedom that the word of God gives you. It doesn't matter if you're a Joseph in prison. You can be free, free from sin. We don't have to be bound by those chains. And so the second thing I want to talk about then is what do you want? Your desires. 
And so a lot of times, like I said, people say, God is the one tempting me. He made me the way I am. We know that's not true here, don't we? God made us good. He looked at Adam and Eve and he says, ah, it is all good. Right desires. Everything was good. We became corrupted through the fall. And so now people that are born into this world, their desires mirror that of the devil, their father. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. And that's the same thing we have in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We were energized by that spirit, the spirit of this world, by the spirit of the devil. That's how we got through this life. We were the walking dead. We were dead spiritually, but alive to sin until Jesus Christ came and saved us. Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, and he didn't have our sinful nature, did he? So he had desires, the normal desires that any man would have, but they weren't corrupted ones. And so we just read in Matthew 4 that he was tempted in the wilderness. But by whom was he tempted? Who was Jesus tempted by? Luke 4 says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So was it the Spirit that tempted him? In Matthew 4 that we read, it says that Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. In Mark 1, it says immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan. So what we want to talk about, the reason I'm saying that is the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To test him. It was a testing. The devil was trying to ruin him in the wilderness by tempting him. So the Spirit wasn't driving Jesus into temptation, but he drove him into a test. So we've talked about this, that we're to pray, lead us not into temptation, Matthew 6, 13. Isn't that a prayer we say we should pray? Because here's the difference. So God's tempting, unlike the devil's, is a test in which he doesn't desire for you and I to fail. His tempting is designed for us to succeed. On the other hand, the devil always wants to defeat discourage and destroy us in temptation we need to see there's a difference there so we need to have a certain amount of testing that's what the Bible teaches it's for our good but we don't want temptations that are unnecessary and that's why we pray don't lead us into temptations don't lead us into unnecessary ones we are gonna have temptings temptations in a sense from God testings we need them right and that's why we have James 1. He says, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of our faith, this is from God's side. What does it do? It's for our good. It works endurance. But let endurance have her perfect work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But sometimes the testing and the temptation are both coming together at the same time. And that's what we have in the book of Job. The Lord's testing and Satan's temptation, they are in the same event, but they are radically different and with radically different motives and intended outcomes. Because the devil, what? He says, Job is going to curse you to your face. That was his outcome. He's wanting to destroy Job, wasn't he? In that temptation to prove that he wasn't a godly man. And God says, I'm going to prove Job's integrity. I'm going to show you he is the real deal. Right? And also, Job came out of that 
temptation that God allowed the devil to bring on him, right? His latter end, it says, was better than his beginning. It was for his good. And so things we don't understand, it's like, why is God allowing this to happen? He's not tempting you to fail. He's testing you. He's trying to build proven character in you. The devil is out to destroy us. And it may be all one and the same trial that's going on there, right? So back in the day when they built the Union Pacific Railroad, when it was under construction, they built this elaborate trussle across this great canyon because they're trying to connect St. Louis and California. So before it was open for commercial use, this construction engineer, he's like, well, I want to test its strength. And so he loaded this train with extra cars and equipment to double what it would ever normally have. Double the payload was on there. And the train was driven out to the middle of the bridge, and they just let it sit there for days. And a worker complained. He said, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to break this bridge, destroy this bridge? And the engineer says, no, I'm trying to prove that the bridge is unbreakable. And that's what God does with us when he puts us through trials. You're thinking, why am I going through this? I am hanging on by my fingernails, Lord. What are you doing to me? And he's just trying to prove we're unbreakable by his grace. Build that character in us. So that's the way testing works. God designs our desires to be met by him. And the temptation is the devil comes and he says, as God said, you get your desires fulfilled another way. That's what he does. So you have a desire. We want to have our needs met. That's a normal desire. And God does promise to provide, doesn't he? Matthew 6, he promises to provide. But the devil comes and he says, oh, don't trust him. You better work three jobs because bad times are coming. And you don't have to be totally honest on your taxes or on your billing because those people got all kinds of money and you should get some of it. Or however, he's going to test you to be greedy. And to do things, tempt you to be greedy and do things that are not God's way. Or you have a desire for sex, it's normal. And God has provided a means to meet that desire, hasn't he? Marriage. One man, one woman. Here's what happens. The devil will come. Hey, you're not getting your physical and emotional needs met by your wife. And you're not doing good spiritually. Anyways, you can repent later. And that's how the temptation comes. And next thing you know, something that was, starts off as nothing becomes something. That's the way things work. Or you have a desire for protection. That's normal. And God has promised Psalm 91 to protect us, right? But the devil will say, hey, I know that Jesus said to turn the other cheek, but he hasn't lived in the 21st century. He hadn't been here because it's a crazy world out there. And if somebody ticks you off, you better vent. Because if you don't, you're going to have a heart attack trying to hold all that in, right? Or on and on and on. So God's given us normal desires for friends or whatever, and the devil will try to tempt you and say, if you live a holy life, you won't have any friends. And that's the way it works. But Jesus came, and he overcame every temptation with all wisdom. He came to this earth and lived without sin through temptation so that he could go up into heaven and pour that life and that grace and help us in our time of need so that we could live in control of our desires and over sin just like he did. So we'd like to get rid of all of our trials and temptations. Sometimes I think we think that, but we need them to grow. So we shouldn't look at, a, at them as things to be hated or that God hates you when you go in through trials and temptations because James said we should rejoice because we know something. We know that those trials are working endurance in us to make us perfect 
and complete. The third thing we need to see in a temptation is the question comes, where are you going? And by that, I mean, if the consequences of a temptation could be seen, we wouldn't fall for them. If you could see that hook behind that bait and where that was going to leave you, you wouldn't fall from them because the devil keeps them hidden. He tells Eve, he says, he lies about that. He says, you shall not surely die despite what God said. So it's always a matter of faith, isn't it? Temptation is always a matter of faith. Whose word are you going to believe? That's what it is. You know, the devil tells Esau, if you don't eat Jacob's red pottage, you will die. That's what he told him. He convinced him of that. Because Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright be to me? And he probably thought, man, I guess I'll just get my act together later. I'll repent later. And did that logic work for him? Because it says in Hebrews 12, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And so what did Esau believe? He believed his appetites and the devil. And he chose not to believe God's word. God would have kept him alive, no problem. So what about your temptations? You know, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he clearly warns us that if you're lustful or angry, and that's the way you live and continue that way, where does he say you'll end up? He says, you'll end up in hell unless you repent. And the devil says, no, you're just a normal person. No one's perfect. God understands, and that's what happens. He tries to convince us in the midst of our temptation that the bad results that are promised, it's for everyone else. Those bad results aren't going to happen to you, so go ahead. Or he'll twist the grace of God into a license of sin. Because I believe that's what happened, a familiar case with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Because the bait that he gave them was, he's like, if you give everything like Barnabas, who was praised, you'll have the praise and the esteem of all the people. That was the bait that he held out to them. He didn't put out the consequences because if they would have seen the consequences of their sin, I guarantee you they wouldn't have done what they did. But they didn't realize that. He hid that from them. And what about Achan in Joshua 6? The Lord had warned all of the Israelites. He said, don't take of the accursed thing or you will be cursed. All the silver and the gold, God said, are mine. He warned everybody. But there we are. Achan comes across something. Hey, the devil says, look at that expensive coat you're looking at. What a waste to destroy it. Look at that wedge of gold and all those shekels of silver. He's like, that'll give you security for the rest of your life. And so which picture? It's a matter of faith. Which picture did Achan choose to believe? Obviously, he took all that stuff. But I think if he'd have realized, if he'd have seen ahead of time where he was heading, if he'd have seen all the rocks on top of his head and his family's head, I think he would have changed his mind. But in the heat of temptation, what happens is passions rule. So just like with David, he didn't see the ruination of his whole family and the shame that he was going to have to go through in leaving Jerusalem and what all would happen there. He didn't see that. He only saw what? He only saw Bathsheba. And it's just like the rich man. He says, what am I going to do with all these riches? I'm going to build bigger barns. That's what I'm going to do. And that's the picture he has. Rather than trust in the Lord. And Jesus said to the end, you're a fool. Thou fool. This night thy soul will be required of you. You should have been concerned about that. You believe the wrong picture.
And so the answer to temptation is what for all of us? What is it? It's always Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We sing that song. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge me and he shall direct thy paths. And that's like the little kid's song. It's simple, but it's what we're talking about. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above, he's looking down in love. Be careful, little feet, where you go. We've got to watch where our feet are taking us, don't we, as we walk through this life. So listen, the great temptation, and I'm saying right now, persecution, I believe, has started. It's going to get worse. But the great temptation is going to be to save our lives and not to lose them for the sake of our Savior. It's going to be that way for some of us. I don't know who. And so I'd like to share these two testimonies from Fox's Book of Martyrs. There was a man, his name was Dr. Hooper. Now this guy, they had to put wood under him three different times to finally burn him at the stake. So the first two times, he just got partially burned. And they had to do it again, and they had to do it a third time. But this man, throughout that all, was very gracious with his tormentors. Spoke to him nicely. Spoke nice words to him. And listen to this. Sir Anthony Kingstock, at one time, Dr. Hooper, this man that was burnt, his good friend, he was appointed by the queen to attend his execution. And as soon as he saw the bishop, as soon as he saw this man and what was happening, it says he burst into tears. And with tender entreaties, he exhorted him to live. He exhorted him, just please, just renounce the Lord so you don't have to go through this. I love you, my friend. And here was this answer. Here was this bishop's answer, Dr. Hooper. He said, true it is that death is bitter and life is sweet. He said, but alas, consider that the death to come is more bitter and the life to come is more sweet. I can't deny my Lord's what he told him. And a second person, Dr. Roland Taylor, that was burned at the stake. And listen to this. At the last, they kindled the fire, and Dr. Taylor, holding up both his hands, calling upon God, and said, here's what he said. Listen to this prayer. Merciful Father of heaven, for Jesus Christ, my Savior's sake, receive my soul into thy hands. And so it said, he stood still. The grace of God was on him without either crying or moving. His hands folded together, and it says his body fell into the fire. That's the way he died. But here's what I want us to listen to. Listen to this. These men, they're leaving things. The temptation had to be to live and to deny the Lord. But listen, this was his last words to his wife and children. He wrote these before, before he died. I say to my wife and to my children, the Lord gave you unto me, and the Lord has taken me from you and you from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe that they are blessed which die in the Lord. God cares for sparrows and for the hairs of our heads. I have ever found him more faithful and favorable than is any father or husband. Trust ye therefore in him by the means of our dear Savior Christ merits. Listen to what he says. Believe, love, fear, and obey him. Pray to him, for he has promised to help. Count me not dead, for I certainly shall live and never die. I go before, and you shall follow after to our long home. What a way to go. What words are those? those are, to me, those are words of encouragement. 
There's a man that stayed faithful to God and resisted the temptation to deny everything just so he could be with his family for a few more years. He says, I'm not dead. You just follow my example. You just follow the Lord and you'll be with me. Now that's faith. He believed the right picture, didn't he? He believed the picture God had given him. So to sum it up, let's just remember our identity is what we talked about. We are the sons of God, loved by God the Father as our Lord Jesus Christ was. And that means we are neither slaves to our past or free to do as we please. That's what happens in temptation. But we're called to do what? We're called to walk in the footsteps of our elder brother, to live a life to please the Father in purity and righteousness. That's what God has called us to. And let's remember that God's given us desires and needs but that he will fulfill them in his way. So when you see something in the word that this is what God says he will do, it's our obligation as Christians, as followers of him, to say, well, I know there's other ways to get my needs fulfilled that you've given me, but I'm going to do things according to your word. And the temptation is, and it's a strong temptation, a lot of pressures from society telling you you're a fool to do it his way. But that's what the faith message is all about. We're never a fool to trust the Lord, and he will be faithful to us. And the last thing we said is let's look where that temptation will lead us. you got to do that before you get into it, because it says when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, as we talked about the young man in Proverbs 7, it brings forth death. And so that means when temptation comes, you have to already know this is how I'm going to deal with it. You're going to shut that temptation down immediately. You're not going to toy with it. You're not going to reason with it. And you're going to be, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to be ruthless with it. You're going to cut it off, cut off that hand, pluck out that eye, cut off that foot. And you're going to be consistent daily. We're going to walk with the Lord, taking up our cross and denying ourselves. That's what will happen. That's the way we'll overcome temptation. And so I want to close with this verse. Is an encouragement. This is a song we sing many times. It's a great song. Dave wrote the song, wrote the tune, not the verse. But it says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And we know this, but God is faithful, amen, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What a great promise, isn't it? It may seem like we're going through more than we can bear, but it is never that way. And he is faithful, God is faithful to bring us through all of our tests and temptation. And why is that? He said, blessed is the man that endures trials or temptation because he will receive what? A crown, the crown of life that God gives to all those that love him, that love him enough that they're going to put his word and being faithful to him above anything that the world puts in front of them. And that's the way we'll live. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. And Father, I just ask you'll impress upon all of us, Lord, that we are sons and daughters, your sons and daughters, and that we're not created in righteousness and holiness to live a life of sin, but to walk with you and to walk to please you. And I just ask that you'll impress that on all of our hearts when temptations come our way, Lord, and that we'll look to you by your grace and your power that when we're tempted, we can seek your face to give us grace and power to help in time of need and that you'll do that. That you've been through all the temptations we've been through. You've been through the loneliness we've been through, the pain we've been through. Everything we've been through, Lord, you've been through without sin so that you can come and help us 
And we thank you that you're faithful to do that and that all of this, Lord, that we can live a holy, righteous life is because of what you've done on the cross and the blood you shed and the life that you've given us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we just thank you for that. So I just ask that you'll put that all in our minds and our hearts today, Father, as we go forth in this day. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's just remember as we're receiving communion that this is part of worship, that we're worshiping the Lord as we do this. Amen. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And, Father, we just pray and I just... We just thank you, Lord, for the offering you gave. You sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on that cross and he took our place. He took the punishment that was coming our way, that was due us, and he received that in his body. And that by his stripes, by those wounds, that we are healed and we are forgiven. And just thank you so much, Lord, for the sacrifice that he made on that cross. And we receive this bread now in remembrance of that in Jesus' name. went on to say, and after the same manner he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And he said, this do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Father, we just hold this grape juice, Lord, that represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed on our behalf that represents his death, the death that we should have had. And this blood, it washes us, Lord, white as snow, and it white wipes our conscience free from any guilt of sin, and that we can stand before you, Lord, justified, sanctified, and holy because of this blood that was shed on our behalf. And we're just so grateful for that. And we just receive this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, that's something to rejoice in. If everybody would stand up, praise the Lord for what he did on the cross. Amen. All righty. All right, so is everybody going to be able to make it out to Jay's tonight at 5 for the most part? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, well, we'll look forward to seeing you out there, and the Lord bless you. Uh, shake some visitors' hands. Shake some, take some time to fellowship before you break the doors and get out of here, and we'll see you tonight. Lord bless. <laughs>